to the Don't Pick the Scab podcast with the premise of connecting men over 40 with the tools and community to thrive in their divorce recovery, either before, during, or after a divorce. Check it out. Welcome everybody out there to Don't Pick the Scab podcast. We have David Elselvolton. God, I'm going to butcher that name. <laughs> but uh, we are both Davids. We are both Davids, and it's going to make it easy. He is a conflict specialist, um, a divorce ret- attorney, is divorced, and I got some questions for him, but he's going to go ahead and lay out what he does, and then we'll go from there. So go ahead and take it, David. Sure. Well, uh, my name is David Enavolson, and uh, I started a project called Emotional Embuffination, uh, which was a product of, in part, my work as a, a family law attorney and in family law, we do a lot of divorces and custody fights. And I'm actually not doing that specifically anymore. Mm-hmm. I've shifted into criminal, but I spent over a decade working as a family law attorney. So I saw a lot of divorces, uh, went through my own divorce, uh, had kids involved. So I kind of saw the spectrum personally. Uh, I also have a psychology background. My undergraduate degree was in psychology and I, I continue to be fascinated by psychology. So emotional buffination is kind of the merger of all these things. Um, it's a combination of my personal experiences, uh, what was working for me going from basically a suicidal mess, you know, at the end of my divorce, uh, all the way up to feeling better than I've ever felt in my life. And it's part that part principles of psychology, part what I've seen as a divorce attorney for over a decade, um, and a little bit of law of attraction stuff. And the underlying theme is how do we make people emotionally buff enough to overcome any conflict in life? Um, and at the same time, optimize positive feelings and just live your best life. And it's kind of the idea there. So, and buffination is the process of becoming emotionally buff is the idea. Well, what's the difference between emotional intelligence and emotional strength? That was one of the questions I had. Yeah. So uh, I think emotional intelligence is one of the buzzwords. I, there, I would characterize it as emotional buffination is just kind of the, the particular framework I put together for um, emotional strength. One of the extra elements in there that I don't think you usually talk about with respect to emotional intelligence is I've incorporated some law of attraction principles, which I found extremely useful uh, for various reasons when I was going through my own recovery process. Um, I don't think you typically see that in the emotional intelligence framework, but there's definitely a lot of overlap, I think, uh, with respect to emotional intelligence, emotional agility. And a lot of people use these terms interchangeably, I think. Um, I would just say emotional buffination is the mm-hmm. specific framework I've offered, which differs a little bit from some other people. But uh, Since you went ahead and did that, what is uh, the law of attraction and how does that so, play into e-buffination? Sure. Uh, well, the law of attraction... It, a lot of people are familiar with the concept, at least in a very general sense. Um, I think there's a lot of different opinions on how a lot of it works, but the general idea is that uh, your thoughts sort of manifest in the world. So uh, whatever I I dwell on, whatever I think about a lot is going to come to fruition somehow in my life. Now there's a couple of different ways you can look at it. One is sort of a metaphysical level. Like there's this magical stuff behind the scenes, you know, there's a more practical level where you can say, well, if I'm constantly thinking about something, it's going to, I'm going to start putting focus on, I'm going to pay attention to it. I'm more likely to accomplish things I want to accomplish if I'm constantly thinking about them and working on them, that kind of thing. Um, So depending on where you fall on that spectrum, the, the basic idea is the, what you think about attracts similar things in your life. Um, the reason that I find that useful is, is a couple of things. One is I think it really orients you away from being a victim. 
because the core idea of law of attraction is if, if something is happening in your life that you don't like it, somehow you brought it to yourself. And so I think one of the, the common things, and this is something I saw as a family law attorney, this is absolutely something I've done myself, and I think a lot of people do it. I still see this even in criminal law, which I'm practicing now. I see it constantly where people will kind of shift immediately into victim mode when they don't like what's going on. So if, if the sky seems like it's falling, you start pointing at everybody and everything else and saying, this is your fault. This is his fault. This is the state's fault. This is whatever. This is her fault. You know, that monster that I married. Um, and so the problem there is that instead of kind of fixing the problem, we start fixating on the finger pointing, which mm -hmm. does a couple of things. One is it doesn't start moving us towards actual resolution. Um, instead, what we do is we start inflaming the situation because we go out and we react with the other person and, you know, in very toxic ways. So for example, if I'm going through a divorce, which is the first one of your major themes here, um, if I'm going through a divorce and I have my ex that I'm soon to be ex that I'm interacting with, if I think everything is her fault, I start spewing all sorts of vitriol and anger at her. And that's going to feed back to me. It's going to make the environment between the two of us toxic. It's going to make it much harder to resolve things, you know, in terms of agreements, it's going to be bad for my kids. If you have kids. Um, so it, it doesn't really help. It tends to fireball things out of control when you shift into blame mode. Um, this was a real struggle as a family law attorney it was constantly people just wanted to come in and talk to me about how evil the other side was. And here's all the 5 million things they did wrong. And I had to just perpetually redirect people into, okay, but how do we fix this problem and move you forward? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a much more constructive perspective. And even if you think that the, on a metaphysical level, the law of attraction is just sort of nonsense. Uh, I think that it reorients you into thinking, okay, I have control of the situation. Um, so instead of thinking, I'm going to start blaming, I, I instead change my focus into, I don't like what's going on. So what do I do differently to make a different outcome? Um, and just finger pointing, I don't think is typically helpful on that front. Uh, it, the mindset there, if nothing else, I think is incredibly important. That's a big part of the reason that uh, emotional buffination uses that particular framework. Uh, another element to it is that it's very fixated on positive thoughts. So a, a lot of the framework with the law of attraction is if you're thinking about positive things, positive things tend to manifest, or if you're thinking mm -hmm. negatively, the world starts to become negative for you. Um, there's a, a wide range of reasons. I think that thinking in a positive way, and there, there's a lot of research supporting this just on a psychological level. Um, when you're thinking more positively and dwelling on sort of positive thoughts, that has all sorts of ramifications back to you. I mean, it can be as simple as when I'm coming in and saying, uh, in the divorce process, for example, and I'm just sitting there spewing anger at the other side because I've just been sitting there dwelling on like, I hate this person. I hate this person. I can't believe she did this to me. Like she's ruined my life. And I spend all my time thinking like that. The second I start having interactions with her, that comes out. Oh, and yeah. it's funny because as a divorce attorney, I remember all the time I would have, this was a very, very common experience. I would have somebody bring me a, an audio recording that they had with another party and they would say, uh, you know, I had this conversation and they started yelling at me and it was super nice and diplomatic. And then I listened to the recording and my client who's saying they were super nice and diplomatic <laughs> was like really snippy and angry and saying all these toxic things in my head. I'm like, oh my gosh. how on earth do you think this is like diplomatic or nice or anything? But I think people get so wrapped up in the anger that it just starts coming out. And so that's another aspect of the law of attraction that I like mm -hmm. is that it reframes your thinking into 
away from all that negative stuff into the positive stuff. And that has ripples all over the place. Um, perpetually focusing on positive things can reduce anger. Um, you, you fixate on things like gratitude, for example, um, that just fundamentally alters the framework that you're coming at someone else with and the way you're interfacing even with other people. Um, I, I, I've had a lot of conversations with people who are going through divorces and people have different reactions, you know, but often they're very negative and sometimes people don't want to even talk to you. Um, so it can, it can impact all sorts of other things. If you're in sales, you know, it can really have a detrimental effect on what you're selling and, you know, what are your conversion rates and that kind of thing. So those are just a few reasons that I, re I really like the idea of the law of attraction incorporated into um, the emotional buffination framework, just just because I think it alters the interface, and which ultimately is going to change what kind of conflict we're facing and what the outcome is going to be. So it's almost like a speak it into existence. Well, it's it's speak it and think it. Um, mm -hmm. I think the think it is is the foundational part of that, but it's it's think it, and then that thought turns into kind of what you're saying, what you're doing, and it sort of ripples out from there. Um, I, I tend to believe that most of your most of what comes out, you know, even if you don't get metaphysical about this, most of what comes out it starts with thought. You know, if, if I want to go pick up something, you know, I'm going to pick up my pen off the, the table here. I, I have to first think I want to do that and then kind of actions proceed on from there. So um, it starts with thought, but yeah, mm -hmm. it, it's, then it can turn into speaking it into existence. People use like mantras to kind of tell themselves, I want this thing to come into effect. And, and, and I've done that before too. But yes, the short answer is yes. <laughs> so how can it make people lazy? That was one thing that you wrote. And I don't see the connection between lazy and law of attraction. How can it make people lazy? I think that's a common objection. Um, I, I think that's the framework people tend to think of. It okay. um, there, there's a lot of objections to the framework of the law of attraction. One of them is, in my mind, sorry, now I know where we were going with this or where I, where I was going okay. with this. Um, if, if there is a possibility, I think, for people to kind of just sit back and say, well, I'm going to just think myself into being a millionaire. I'm going to just sit on my couch and then that million dollars is going to show up in my life. And then I don't have to do anything to get it. And so I'm just going to sit on my couch, okay. eat some Cheetos, watch TV and just dwell on how I'm going to be a millionaire. And I think that's a little problematic. And that kind of shifts into that lazy pattern. Um, one of the themes that I think about the law of attraction is that you are you're becoming the magnet for the things that you want mm -hmm. um, so you are the attractor and so what i like to think of in this in my mind this is a misconception about the law of attraction is that i think a lot of people just think of they just say it over and over like simply speak it into existence and do nothing else mm -hmm. and that's enough um, one of my uh, paradigms i guess is that you have to become the attractor. In other words, you have to become the kind of person to whom the things you want are drawn. So if you're just sitting on your couch doing nothing and just saying, I want a million dollars, I want a million dollars, it may come to you, but it might not. Um, instead, if you think of it in terms of, I'm going to become the kind of person to whom a million dollars is going to be drawn, then you mm -hmm. you're more likely to start going out and doing things that are consistent with that sort of person, which increases the probability that you're going to get that million dollars coming to you or something close to. So I think all the thoughts and actions have to be congruous. Mm -hmm. um, you have to 
be doing things and thinking in a way that's going to align you with what it is that you want. Um, there, we as humans, I think, want to be lazy a lot of the time. And so uh, <laughs> a lot of times we want the shortcut, we want the easy way. Heck and yeah, just duh. Like, oh. I just, if I just win the lottery, then I'm going to have a million dollars. And I think the lottery can happen, you know, by way of yeah. law of attraction, if you get sort of metaph- metaphysical about it again. Uh, but it, the framework I come from is more like become that person. Truth. And that often requires yep. some work. And that requires changing who you are, which is not easy. You know, that's difficult. What yeah. role does action play? Action play that you have to actually do the work in order yes. for law of attraction very, to work. Very similar to the theme to what we were just talking about. Uh, I, I think that, again, a lot of people think that there isn't action involved in it. In my mind, even if you take this metaphysically, like we are, we're physical beings. You, know, mm-hmm. if you think we're spirit in, in body. Um, we're still a merger of spirit and body, right? So I think that action is a physical thing that is, it shows that your thoughts are consistent with what it is that you're wanting to do. So if you go out and you take some action, you know, towards getting that million dollars or whatever it is, then you're way more likely to not only be mentally aligned to attract those things that you want, but also be in a place where you're making things happen such that it's more likely you're going to get the stuff you want, um, whatever that is. I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. just have to be the million dollars. I don't mean to keep fixating on that, but it could be like, I want to have a positive relationship with my kids or um, I want to get through this divorce as smoothly as possible. Or I want to recover and, and, and feel good, you know, those, those kinds of things. So whatever it is, there's, there's often action, even though I'm like the core, mm-hmm. I guess, spiritual sort of side of this, action in and of itself is not the baseline for this it's it's thought but i think action is sort of an extension of the example earlier i, I want to pick up my pen it starts with a thought but there's an action involved in me grabbing it and picking mm-hmm. it up um, so I, I think action is important i think it, it keeps us from stagnating it moves us towards the things we want it, it makes us become you know the, the person that we want to become so other than law of attraction, what are some of the other ways that men over 40 going through divorce can get control of their out of control emotions? There's, there's so many, and this is one of my, my ongoing themes with uh, emotional buffination is there, there's just so much stuff. Uh, one of the things that I frequently hear is people will say like, I'm depressed and I've tried everything. And then you talk to them and they try like three things and they still feel depressed. <laughs> and so, um, and they maybe they tried really hard on those three things, yeah. but it didn't. It wasn't enough. And so one of the analogies I like to draw is that if you imagine you're like walking out in the forest and you find this just old car that's just beat to heck, like the engine's been torn out. There's like no no tires on it, like nothing's working. And then I sit down and I say, "Well, I replaced the alternator on this beat up car, and it's still not working." Um, and then I put on a new tire, and it still isn't working. Uh, that that to me is a lot like how we function as mm-hmm. humans. So a lot of times we'll just try some random stuff and it doesn't quite come together. Now there's a minimum number of things that you're going to have to do some like needle moving core critical things. Like you need an engine in the car, for example, you're going to need a starter in the car. There's going to have to be tires to make it go. Um, there's going to be a string of things that have to be in play before this is going to be functioning at a basic level. And then once it's there and it's actually moving, you got all these things repaired. You can kind of, optimize it. You can keep improving Mm -hmm. it. So I think we're very similar where there's a lot of different stuff that goes into the mix. Um, And I'm not trying to (laughs) overcomplicate this, but there's the, there's a lot of things I could offer in terms of like little 
tips. Um, there's some core things, you know, what, where your thoughts are going, I think is a really fundamental one. Um, prioritizing self-care, you know, in terms of like emotional self-care, I think mm-hmm. is a really big one. Um, paying a lot of attention to what you're doing and, and what you're attracting. And this goes back to kind of some of the law of attraction stuff too. But, um, you know, for example, I get out of a divorce and I think I'm going to I'm going to go start dating again. Um, and then I immediately run into problems. I have a running theme that human beings are inherently drawn romantically or otherwise to people of comparable emotional developmental levels. And so very often what you see is like somebody will get out of a relationship and then jump into something very similar and it becomes very toxic all over again. Um, I see this with like abuse victims, for example, where you would have say somebody is in a very toxic relationship and they're being abused and it takes everything they can to get out of that relationship and, you know, move on. And so then they jump, they don't do anything other than that. And then they jump into another relationship and it's like a whole nother abusive relationship. And I've seen people just kind of hop from abusive relationship to abusive relationship. And yet there's other people who never forget in abusive relationships. And so there's something about that dynamic, I think that's in play. And I'm not saying, you know, abuse is okay. And I'm not trying to blame victims of abuse, Mm -hmm. but there's something that the abuse victim is drawn to in the abusers and vice versa. There's something that the abusers like almost smell in the victims that they, and they just gravitate together. And so one of the major ways you can shift that is to change who you are, you know, because if, if you are attracting the wrong kind of person for you, meaning that if you're seeing relationships successively that are just kind of toxic over and over and over again, something is in you that's being drawn to those people that are causing this toxic situation. So because of that, I think prioritizing self-care is absolutely critical. Um, if you think of it from kind of this empowerment perspective, you know, everything is in my control, which I, I think you whether it is or isn't, I think you have to start with that assumption because it puts you in the framework to, to try to improve your life. Um, it, it fundamentally alters like the approach you're taking. If you start with that mindset, then mm-hmm. you start saying, how do I get better? And then if you can start just changing little things here and there, like by prioritizing that, then whether somebody else is there in your life or not, you, know, you start dealing with things differently. The, the bill that you don't quite have enough money for doesn't become this like life ending catastrophe. It's, it's just, okay, here's a problem I got to fix. Um, the, the significant other that's saying something snarky has a totally different impact. So it self-care, I guess, is the <laughs> prioritizing that and, and taking some affirmative steps on a regular basis to improve all that. And it, unfortunately this is something, this is one of the emotional buffination themes also, this mm-hmm. is something that requires some work. You know, it's a lot like working out at the gym where I don't just go to the gym one time and say, well, I'm buff forever. I don't have to do that again. <laughs> like you keep going on a regular basis. Yeah. You want to stay fit, right? um, same thing with, with the emotional stuff. Like you have to keep working on it or it, it dissipates. <laughs> so make it part of your routine. You know, there, there's a million things you can do in that realm, like reading stuff. Uh, I'm a big fan of meditation uh, on some level, but I mean, you don't even have to do that kind of thing. Like I'm also, I love martial arts. That, that's a big mm-hmm. deal thing. Uh, and I think there's a lot guys can get out of, of doing stuff that ties in with, that has kind of philosophical components, um, emotional components and ties in with stuff that are intrinsically guy. Not that every guy has to go to martial arts or something, but find something that's going to tap in and emotionally improve you. And it, it resonates with you as well. If that makes sense. Um, I remember back during my divorce back in the day, 12, 13 years ago, and my emotional buffination was um, 
communication. And I figured out that I could not talk to her on, on the phone, whatever. So I could only text and email. So once you realize those types of communications, I think it's a whole lot better. What do you think about that? Uh, 100% agree with that. The words, and they, this has impact in a million different ways. Um, one is the interactions you're having with the other person. Uh, it, it's funny, like my business partner, he's an attorney also, very frequently, especially when he's like upset and he's sending an email to someone, he'll send it to me first and say, hey, here's my draft. Can you filter this for tongue? Uh, because oftentimes what will happen is we get really angry. We like send yeah. something off or we say something to someone and it, it just comes off like really toxic, <laughs> it's really snarky, really angry. And then that induces this negative reaction back from somebody, um, especially when you're going through a divorce or even after a divorce, if you're interfacing with somebody yep. that, you know, you've gone through that divorce with or a breakup or whatever, uh, it, the words that you're feeding them can come back very quickly on you. Um, but also the words you're using with yourself are a, a big thing. Uh, one of the chapters in my, my book, Emotional Buffination, so I have a book entitled Emotional Buffination, uh, which has a whole bunch of different ideas there. But one of them is about self-talk. And uh, the words I think that we're using with ourselves are pretty important too. So in that time frame when I was going through my divorce and it was like a suicidal mess, uh, I was constantly telling myself I was like a failure and a loser and the yeah. words I was using with me were like becoming real. And I was becoming convinced all these things were, were true. You know, I said, I'm a terrible husband. I said, I'm a terrible parent. I said, I was terrible at business. And like all these things were coming true and it felt like garbage. And so, I, you know, I, when I realized like changing the words I was using, even with myself was such an important thing. Something I actually simple. got out of wow. control. And uh, I, I had this exercise that I was doing uh, where I was writing myself prompts. Like this was one of the first things I started doing when I was shifting gears. Uh, I started writing prompts for myself and it would be things like write something positive about yourself. I remember the first time I did that one, I literally sat there for like 45 minutes and I couldn't even come up with an answer just because I felt so negative. And I'd had this message to myself that I was a piece of garbage for so long that it was just, it was tough. And, but I kept practicing that. I was doing that on a daily basis. And after a while, I was like, I could just write, well, I'm good at this. I'm good at this. And, um, this is something good about me. And so that talk with yourself, that talk with other people, um, however you're engaging in it, I think it's, it's really important. And that changes the dynamic both internally and externally. Um, so short answer is yes, I 100% agree with mm -hmm. you. Like that, the language that you're using, the talk that you're using, the communication style that you're using, even the tone that you're using yep. is really important to pay attention to. Yeah, the tone cannot be produced most of the time through a text or email, so Correct. it's kind of nice. Um, but it also kind of can. Yes, uh, like yes, it's, yes. it's hard to sense it, but you can use a lot of words that are going to shift it in one direction or another. Um, there's, <laughs> It's funny you say that. There's a Key and Peele skit. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh, heck yeah. Love yeah, that. I love Key and Peele. They have that. You, you, have you seen the, the skit where they're doing the text messages back and forth? And then the one guy is like texting. Yes. He's interpreting it all as this like toxic stuff. And the other guy's like, oh, okay, whatever. And they show up and one guy's just ready to beat him with a bat. <laughs> um, <laughs> the first guy's like, what's going on? Oh, you brought me a gift of a bat. How did you know yeah. I love that? Um, so I, I think that tone can be a problem when you're in text because you, you don't yeah. have the full picture. But you can also alter it a bit. You know, if you're using words that sound inflammatory, People pick up on that tone, yeah. you know, or conversely, if you're using 
words that are very non-inflammatory, people can pick up on that too. So you don't have as much information as you do in person. Yeah. Um, one of the benefits of text or email, you know, something like that, like a textual communication, is that you can kind of pause and think. You know, if you're right in front of somebody, and this can be especially problematic if you're you have a toxic dynamic yeah. with someone. Um, if you're right in front of them, like there's no time to stop. And like, <laughs> like I do send it, send an email to my partner first and say, can you check yeah. this for tone? Um, like you're just interacting. And so that is one of the positives there is that you have a few minutes to like type it up, step away from it for a second say, okay, am I ready to send this? Can I read this again? Does that say what I want it to say? Um, yeah. But you're right. I mean, there, there's, there's a piece of it missing. It uh, kind of makes you want to put the pussy on the chain wax. But anyway, <laughs> Yes. But yes. Anyway. <laughs> Wait, I'm supposed to say that's not a thing. Nobody says that. <laughs> that is a thing. Okay. <laughs> well, it is not. For anybody that's watching. Oh, uh, that's oh my God. Tears in my eyes. That was, oh my. You know, you never talk about the pussy on the chain wax on a divorce <laughs> recovery podcast, but you know, we're going to break, <laughs> we're going to break the chains today and we're just yes. going to knock it out. So switch gears to, to arguing. How can a man over 40 use some of the, the um, law of attraction in his arguing? Because that was a huge thing with me. The arguing was just over the top. Um, the, the arguing, you have to, for me, so I have a, a whole model that I, I talk about. It's a three-step model. Uh, I call it our which started with kind of this idea that we're working on our relationship, um, but it's O-U-R. Okay. And it stands for own, understand, and resolve. And so the first step of that is is owning what's going on in just kind of a general sense here. You say, okay, I'm going to get control of myself. I'm going to get control of my behaviors. I'm going to understand where I'm coming from and why I'm reacting to these things. Sometimes you're getting mad and it's like not even tied to what's actually happening in front of you. Um, it's tied to like 50 other things. And so the first step is get control of yourself like, and understand why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, the second step is... Excuse me. Understand where the other person is coming from, because a lot of times, if you just get why they're upset, that in and of itself can change the dynamic. Um, an example of this: I remember years ago, I was in this relationship with a woman who I would have conversations with her, and every once in a while, it would just—I couldn't even understand why—but she would just start getting super angry and blow up at me, and I'd be responding to what she was saying, and it would just keep inflaming <laughs> and. I remember one time I was talking to a friend of mine and I said to her, you know, Hey, I had this conversation. Here's what this girl said to me. Isn't this crazy? And I wanted her to just tell me, yeah, that girl's crazy. Like, I don't know why she would say that. Um, and then I remember she looked at me and was like, David, come on, you're being an idiot. This is what she's talking about. She's not talking about the things that you're actually talking about. I went, Oh my God, you're right. And so the next time I had a conversation with this girl I was dating, I remember I, I had a moment where things started escalating and I stopped myself and I went, what is she actually talking about? And I went, Oh, she's talking about this other thing over here. And the second mm -hmm. I did that, I started speaking about the other thing over there and it immediately deescalated. Wow. And so to me, this is a big part of, of conflict resolution when you're dealing with somebody else is trying to figure out what it is that they're upset about. Cause nine times out of 10, when somebody's screaming at you, it's not about you. It's about something else that's going on. Um, you know, when somebody's screaming into divorce, for example, frequently it's not necessarily about 
the thing that they're screaming about. It's about, I'm upset and I'm scared that this is going on. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm afraid I'm losing control of my kids. You know, there's all these other things that are in the backdrop. And so if you start reacting to what they're saying, a lot of times you're missing the complete picture and you're speaking to the wrong drives, which just kind of inflames things. Mm-hmm. They feel like they're not being heard. Um, I had a, here's another example. I had a client come into me one time and she had, uh, she had, already worked on this case and she'd gone into court and had had this whole interaction with a judge and the opposing attorney and she was representing herself and she was trying to say all this stuff and the things she was saying were just made no legal sense whatsoever she was like citing maritime law and you know law from maine and like it's just all these things that had no relevance whatsoever to what we were doing and so she obviously didn't prevail in court and so she came to me and was very angry about that and I spent about 45 minutes to, with her trying to say like, hey, this law doesn't apply. You should be applying this other law. The judge was right. And as I was talking with her, things kept escalating. And like, it was getting very conflict oriented in my office. And so I remember at one point I was like, okay, look, here's what's going on. You're trying to say all these things. And the judge and the other attorney are over here and they're not hearing you. We need to figure out how to make you speak the same language as them. So let's just reword how you're saying stuff. Let me give you the language and the dictionary that they're using legally Mm -hmm. so that you can get these things, which I know is what you really want. The second I went down that road, like everything just de-escalated and she calmed down and then she started listening to me and was like actually talking about the law that really applied in her case. So that second step, so own, get control of yourself, understand is the second step that right there can fundamentally alter what's going on. Cause if you start having a sense of where somebody's coming from, you start speaking to that instead of just reacting to whatever is going on. That's huge. And then the last step is resolve and resolve is having this understanding of here's where I'm coming from. Here's where there's come. They're coming from. You make a choice about what you're going to do to fix the problem. Um, and it, it, to me, it's very important not to slip into just blame because okay. the second you start going into blame, then you also get into victimhood. You inflame the situation by saying, this is your fault, which does not speak to their drives at all. Uh, but instead just fixate on, okay, I don't like what's going on. Now that I have this understanding of where they're coming from, what I'm doing, I've got control of that. I know where I'm coming from, what mm-hmm. I want, what action step can I take to fix this? Um, I, I think that's the framework that I, I would offer in terms of kind of dealing with the the ex or, or the spouse or whatever situation you're in. Um, that in and of itself, I think, is would really fundamentally alter how a lot of people interface with those people. And then how can you transfer, this was kind of one of my biggest questions, how can you transfer the emotional buffination to your to your kids that's an interesting one again i think that's a a complex answer there's a lot of different ways one is being a model you know um, you can say all the things you want but and they'll repeat those words but they're going to do what you do you know so if you're like you need to always be calm and then they watch you having a tantrum in a restaurant because the waiter didn't do whatever like they're going to mirror that (laughs) you know they're going to go out and have tantrums about other things so getting control of yourself and being a model for them i think is really really huge um probably bigger than anything else but i also just having that understanding i mean there's this common everybody knows the like airplane thing, you know, if the airplane's going down, you put your own oxygen yep, mask on. Correct. Um, I think it's really important to get control of yourself um, so that you can be present for your kids. Because if you're a train wreck, it, it really doesn't matter if you're physically there or not. Um, your kids soak that up. Uh, Big time. 
uh, in Arizona, we have a, when you're going through a divorce or a custody dispute, like the court will actually require you take a class. And yeah, we have that here. That, it sucks. I, I think it's a lot of places. Yeah. But a big <sighs> theme in that class is like, Hey, your kids absorb this stuff. And you know, if you're, if you're having this really toxic environment, if you're constantly talking bad about the other parent, your kids pick up on that and they start stressing out yeah. and they feel bad. And that starts rippling out into their lives. Uh, and so be very conscious of, what you're presenting your kids and how you're interfacing. Um, going back to that hour model, if they constantly see you arguing with their mom, uh, then that starts to become the model for them as to how a romantic relationship should work or how you're going to mm-hmm. interface with your ex or other people. Um, and I, that can really turn into very toxic places too. I've seen cases where the two parties were just fighting and fighting for years and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees and, and watched kids in the midst of that kill themselves, you know, because I think, wow. I think a big part of the reason for that is the environment becomes so yep. toxic because so the two parents are just constantly like wound up and angry and upset and the kids soak that up. So I think the biggest thing would be get control of yourself, be a model for them. Um, and, start working on all of these things so that you know what to teach them in the first place. And you can also present to them an exemplar of how to live. Well, David, I want to thank you. That was interesting, <laughs> especially the Kim Peel part. That was, that was like breaking the ice, man. That was, that was awesome. <laughs> you know, I, I might even title people. this uh, Pussy on Chain Wax. Yes. <laughs> They're comic geniuses. I love watching it. What's one of the most important things you want to give to my listeners as we sign off here? What's, you know, it's all important, but if you had one thing to drop them some knowledge, what would you say? I think the, the, in my mind, the the most fundamental starting place is what I call absolute responsibility. Uh, And that is just this assumption that whatever is going on, it's on you. And so if you don't like what's happening, if you start from the framework of I have the power to change this and I somehow was the cause of this, whether it's like I picked the wrong person in a romantic relationship or I was feeding something into this conflict or um, I don't like the situation. um, Therefore I need to grow in some way is the direction you want to be going. So if you always start from the assumption that it's on you somehow and you have the power to change that thing, I think that's the perfect starting place because that puts you in the mindset to fix it. And if you can fix it, even in a little way, like your life becomes a little bit better and you start dealing with the conflict a little better. So I'd say absolute responsibility is kind of my number one <laughs> key yeah. starting point. All right, Dave, I want to thank you for hooking up with us this morning. I uh, appreciate your time and thank your you. interesting lookout at uh, life and divorce <laughs> over 40. <laughs> yes. And uh, we're going to have your go ahead and talk about what you have available, your book, your website. Yeah, so I've got a number of different resources. I've got um, a few books. I've got the Emotional Buffination book, uh, which is, you can find it on my website or on Amazon or other places. Uh, the website is mbuff.com. That's E-M-B-U-F-F.com. Um, you can find the book there. It's on Audible as well. So if you prefer to listen, you can hear it there. I've got a couple of different books uh, that are fiction that are very symbolic about a lot of the Emotional Buffination themes. Uh, I also have a kid's book, uh, which uh, it's called Success the Cat. Uh, The character was created by my daughter, and we put this book together. It's he and his buddy Perseverance the Cat uh, are attending (laughs) spy school, 
And the spy school is attacked by a depression dog and his army of failure ninjas. And as you're going through the book, it's sort of structured like one of those little choose your own adventure books mm-hmm. where you pick different pathways. And at the end of each story, there's a moral that again ties back to a lot oh, of cool. stuff. So there's a bunch of resources there. I've got other stuff there too. But if you want to just check out the website, mbuff.com. And we'll have that at the bottom of the show notes. And uh, we want to da- thank David for reaching out back to me. You know, we went back and forth a little bit to, to see what was going on, but I think it turned out well. So I yeah. want to wish everybody have a good night. Take care. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Appreciate it. Thank you.